welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Tool, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Thanks for joining another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Whitney Johnson, who is the CEO of Disruption Advisors, which is a tech-enabled talent development company and an INC 5000 2020 fastest growing private company in America. She is also the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestselling author of the book, Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. And that's actually what we're going to be talking to Whitney about today on the podcast is her new book. And uh, we're going to focus specifically on the S curve of growth and learning and the three phases, which she references as the launch point, the sweet spot, and the high end. Um, It was an incredible episode, one I know that you're going to love. Uh, Whitney has got a ton of energy and passion and knowledge in this area. I know every um, HR practitioner and business leader will be able to walk away with a lot of good information that they'll want to apply back to their teams. If you are enjoying our podcast and guests like Whitney, we would really encourage you to go out to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and review. Those reviews really help us spread the word about the What the HR podcast and ensure that it gets in the hands of other HR uh, practitioners and executives. So as always, thanks for being a listener and enjoy the episode. All right, Whitney, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jess. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, uh, likewise. So we gave your bio in the beginning for our listeners, but easy way of getting started. Can you talk a little bit about yourself, uh, the new book, and and maybe the inspiration behind it? Absolutely. So where shall I start? That's always a a very open-ended, tell me about yourself. Um, Let me give you a little bit of background. My, I worked on Wall Street. I initially was a music major, so I surprisingly ended up on Wall Street and eventually co-founded the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Clayton Christensen. And in the process of investing, and as this gets to the book and why I wrote this book, I had this, I had two big ahas. One was, is that this idea of disruption that we oftentimes think of as applying only to products and services and companies and countries also applied to people. And then I had a second big aha, which was that this S curve that we were using to invest, um, to figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted could also be applied to people. And if I back up a little bit from there, when I was working on Wall Street, one of the things that I discovered is that uh, it was around 2002, we were doing this training for all of my fellow equity analysts, all fellow stock pickers. And I found myself spending an inordinate amount of time thinking about the brand of my of my colleagues. It, this American Idol was at its zenith. Um, Tom Peters had just written a brand called You, and I was thinking, well, what kind of brand of analyst are you? Are you the comeback kid? Are you the forensic analyst, analyst, etc.? And I had this realization that I was a bit more interested in the momentum of people than I was of stocks. And so I'm now, as I go back and connect the dots, I'm realizing that there's been this pattern of 
stocks, but I'm more interested in the momentum of the people. I get into disruptive innovation with Clayton and we're investing, doing disruptive innovation, but I'm more interested in personal disruption. And then the S curve, I realize, oh yeah, you can use this to understand how quickly groups change, but I'm more interested in using it on how individuals change. And so the 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 reason for this book was to talk about the S curve as a simple visual model of what growth looks like. Because when you understand what growth looks like, you increase your capacity to grow. And that's my goal with this book is that people want to grow. We don't always know how, but if you have a map on how to do it, then it makes it a lot easier to do. And the S curve is that map. And great timing, I would say. I mean, we this is an HR podcast and in the HR world, right? Learning and development seems to be the top priority for for so many companies. Can you can you describe the S curve a little bit for the audience and then maybe walk through kind of the three stages? And then uh I have more questions after that, but let's let's start there. Yeah. So there, what I'd love for everybody to do is just with your, your finger trace an S. And so you've got a horizontal line on the bottom from left to right. And that's the first part, the major part of the S, which is the launch point. And then you can draw a line, a diagonal line from, again, from left to right, which is the steep sleek back of the S. And this is what I call the sweet spot. And then you've got another line from left to right, which is the the top of the S, and that's the the mastery phase. And so there are we can break it down further. But when you understand this these different phases of growth, then you can start to trace the emotional arc of growth. Let me give you drill down on a little bit more. So whenever you start something new, you start a new project, you start a new role, um, you are at the base of that S. And what's happening for you at the base of that S is that um, your brain is running this predictive model. And it has this hypothesis of here's what it's going to take for me to get to the top of my S. But many of your predictions at the base of that S are incorrect. And because those predictions are incorrect, your dopamine drops. You also have the experience at the launch point of the S curve is there's a lot of new information that you're processing, a lot to, to make memories with. And so your brain is working so hard, you have this feeling of time actually slowing down. The third thing that's happening for you at the base of the S is that you are no longer who you were, but you're not yet who you will be. So your identity is, well, who am I? And so now you're having this experience of, of I feel like I don't know what I'm doing because I'm learning all these new things. I'm getting lots of these predictions wrong. So my dopamine's dropping my identity. I don't know who I am. So I feel awkward and unsure and gangly. And it's not actually that growth isn't happening. It's just that because of all those things, growth feels very slow. So it's very hard to start new things. It's very hard to persist um, when you jump to the launch point of a new curve. So that's the emotional experience that you were having at the launch point. Growth is actually fast, but it feels very slow. So I'll stop there for just a moment. And, or would you like me to go on? Well, I, I just wanted to ask on that. And then Jess, I see you have a question too. That piece of, of the S curve, I imagine mm-hmm. that depending on what you're learning, the length of time to get through that part is going to differ dramatically. Yes, it can absolutely. Um, it can take longer depending. Um, for example, if you're studying to be a rocket scientist, that launch point of the S curve 
is going, like how he said that launch point rocket scientists, I just realized <laughs> I said that that is going to take longer. Um, if you're studying to be a neurosurgeon, that will take longer. If you're trying to figure out how to, um, be a cashier at McDonald's, that will be shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, there's still that launch point experience. All of us have had jobs when we were in high school and the first couple of days on the job, we felt like we didn't know what we were doing. Um, but depending on the domain or the d- discipline that you can move off that launch point more or less quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of correlate it to like, I think you kind of gave a good example there, um, Whitney, with somebody coming into the professional environment for the first time and never knowing how to navigate a corporate environment, mm-hmm. your time at the bottom of the S might be a lot longer than somebody who's been in corporate America for a while and they've maybe been promoted And so they're moving into this new role and they have to learn new things, but they already know how to navigate the corporate landscape, if you will. So there's, there's less points, um, on that kind of launch pad, if you will, than there are when you're totally starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way I would think about it is if you look at your entire, your entire career is an S curve. And so when you first graduate from university, you're at the launch point of a job and of your career. And so that's going to take longer. Whereas, as you just described, if you're mid-career, you're in the sweet spot of your career, but you can still be at the launch point of a new role or a new job. And so Mm -hmm. there's going to be many pieces of that that you can build on that familiarity that will allow you to navigate a landscape more quickly. Okay. That was a good example too. Um, And then I also just had to make a correlation because I'm currently reading um, Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. Mm -hmm. And I just finished the chapter last week where she talks about confusion and she talks about, you know, when we're in a state of confusion, it's like our brains are no different than any other muscle in our body. You know, in order for our biceps to get bigger, we have to stress them out. We have to lift heavy weights in order for our brains to become more dynamic and stronger. If you will, we have to confuse it. We have to get it out of a state of certainty. And so I think that that correlates really well to like the low, the lowering of the dopamine and like things taking longer. That's right. I love that. And I, I love Brene Brown's work. I actually have her book sitting right over there because I've just started it, but I have not yet finished it. Um, yeah. And, and building on that, Jess, uh, one of the, the pieces of research that we used in the book, uh, um, his name is Dr. Terry Sanyowski, and he talks about how learning is where your brain actually acquires some stress. It's put in these conditions that are confusing and unfamiliar, which then force it to develop new neurons and new connections between neurons. And so that is what is happening at the launch point. And, and what's so valuable about knowing that, and this is why it becomes a very useful tool and, and a common language within a team is they can say to you, Hey, Jess, Hey, Mike, I'm on the launch point right now. And now you all know exactly what's going on. It's not that they're not competent. It's just, they're saying, I'm doing this new thing and it's a little uncomfortable for me. I'm trying to figure out how to connect all these neurons together. I'll figure it out, but I'm here. And then when they say that you say, oh yeah. So that means you're feeling uncomfortable, awkward, unsure, impatient because you want to move through it faster, but don't move through it faster because you do need to stay here. This is an important part of that S curve. It gives everyone permission to be in that place. And kind of reminds people, because I think oftentimes well-established teams forget what it's like to be kind of the new kid on the block, if you will. Absolutely. And it's interesting because 
the 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 further along we get in our career, the more that you know, once we as we move into mastery in our career, we can put ourselves in situations where we never do anything new. And so back to your point about the muscle, that muscle can get very flaccid because we don't practice doing it. And so if we know this is a muscle that I need to develop and the more I will put myself in new situations, it's interesting. I noticed a few years ago, I was tracking the people I had had on my podcast and I thought, wow, I am really over-indexing on immigrants, like massively over-indexing. And then I realized, oh, well, duh. Immigrants know how to jump to new S curves. Immigrants know how to disrupt themselves because they have moved from an environment they knew where they knew the language, they knew the country, they knew the terrain to a completely different place. And so that muscle of jumping to a new S curve is highly developed. I'm curious with the pandemic, if like your perception of, I feel like that created an entire new curve for Mm for everybody. And if, because of that, I'm guessing it takes everybody a different amount of time than to get through the sweet spot. Mm. And, uh, I'm curious on just your opinion and and maybe with related to COVID, yeah. what, since you understand this stuff so well, and you probably saw it at like a macro level. Yeah. I, I definitely have some thoughts. Um, the way I have framed this in my mind is that, um, prior to pre-pandemic, we were all on an S-curve. We liked it, we didn't like it, but we were on one. And the pandemic pushed all of us off the top of the mountain all at the same time. And that's part of the reason why it was such a challenge because typically on a team, in a family, you're going to have some people who are mastery, some people at the launch point, the people in mastery can go do the S curve loops and bring other people along. And here we were all pushed off that top of that S curve all at the launch point at the same time. Now that's the, that's the, the, the challenge of it. The, the upside of it is that psychologists have found that periods of severe stress, like a pandemic are often followed by tremendous growth. They call it post-traumatic growth. And so, as we mentioned, as we have acquired all of this stress, we have had these experiences where we've discovered that we are far more resilient than we thought, far more capable than we thought. And so while we've had to do, we've had to adapt I believe that over the next couple of years, we're going to see tremendous growth because we now have this muscle of, we're actually pretty good at jumping to new S curves. We've dealt with disruption. We've dealt with the upheaval and we're, we can do this. And that's part of the reason why I don't think it's the great resignation. I think it's the great aspiration. People are saying, I figured out I can do more. I want more. And so if I can't get more on this S curve that I'm on, I'm going to go find another mountain for myself to climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I imagine in your work, if you're working with leaders, even CEOs, that there have been areas within their, maybe their personal lives and their careers where extreme stress has led them to be as successful as they've been. Right. Absolutely. So the second part, the sweet spot, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. All right. So thinking uh, again about this predictive model that our brain is running, as it continues to run these, make these predictions, 
it's going to, over time, become more accurate in its predictions. And as it becomes more accurate in its predictions, what's going to happen is there are going to be lots of emotional upside surprises and lots and lots of dopamine, which puts you into the sweet spot. This is that place as you're in that steep part where it's exhilarating. It's still hard, but it is not, it's no longer too hard. And it's now easier, but it's not yet too easy. So it's this place of optimized tension. And for those of you who are familiar with the stock market, you think about whenever a company meets estimates, it's sort of, um, but it beats estimates, the stock goes up. Well, that's what's happening inside of our brain. And so dopamine was dropping at the launch point, but now in the sweet spot, you're just, the dopamine is up. And so there's a sense of exhilaration. You feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. I called one of part of it, this accelerator from a self-determination theory standpoint, you feel the sense of competence, autonomy, um, relatedness. And so you now have all right, I'm getting lots of dopamine. I'm still processing information, but not like I was. And my identity, this thing that I'm doing is starting to become who I am. And so this is the place where growth not only is fast, it also feels fast. And it just feels very, very good to be in this place. Do people get stuck in this? Do you want to be stuck in the sweet spot? Or as I think about this, and I think about all the things that you know I've learned throughout my life, it, what happens a lot, and this is just personally for me, but what happens a lot is I get through that sweet spot mm-hmm. and that feels great. And then you get to a point where it kind of stalls. You know, I, you feel a tremendous growth mm-hmm. in the area that you're learning for a certain period of time. And then it, it just, then you just kind of sit there. So I'm curious how we break through that or yeah. if, you know. That's a great question. So what I would say, I have two answers for that. We, we've got a decision tree here. My initial thought is, is that if you've gotten to that point where growth is stalling, then you're potentially in mastery. So we can come to mastery in just a minute. So you're no longer in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in the sweet spot and um, I don't think it's possible to be stuck in the sweet spot, because by definition, when you're in the sweet spot, you're growing fast. So what I would say is possible, if you think of this as a mountain, it's possible that you can be in the sweet spot, you can have that sense of this is the right S curve for me. But you can also be tired. And you can say, I need a break, I need to rest. Yeah, I love this mountain. And I want to continue to climb it. But I just need to catch my breath for a minute. And I do think that that is happening a little bit for people is they're burned out, even though they love what they're doing. And so they're, they're ditching the S curve when it would probably be better if they just took a rest. But I would argue, Mike, that, um, if you've gotten to that place of, Oh, I'm stuck. You're probably, you've probably reached mastery or it's the wrong curve. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, probably it. I would call it reaching mastery. And then I, I guess my question then, and not to jump to that, that, point in the S curve, but since we're on the topic, when you are in the mastery level phase and you do feel a little bit stuck or just not as motivated, Mm -hmm. like what, what do you do to Mm -hmm. circle back into getting the dopamine up? Yeah. So, um, let me just say one more thing on the sweet spot and then I'll go to mastery. So, Mm -hmm. so you've got launch point slow, then you've got, um, sweet spot fast. And the thing that to remember about the sweet spot is that because everything is working, it's easy to ignore it. It's easy to not be aware of it. And so as a manager, when you 
when you look around at your team and you think everything's working, you want to just stop for a second and ask yourself, who's making everything working work? I'm not noticing there's any problems. So let me figure out who's making things work and focus on them and pay attention to them so that they feel appreciated and they don't, don't feel underappreciated and then decide to leave. So just something to think about the sweet spot because it's easy when everything feels good, it's easy to not realize that everything feels good. Okay. Now let's go to mastery. So what's going on in mastery? So in mastery, the experience that you're having is that the predictive model, you've figured it all out. Like you're, a, you're an HR tech guy. So, you know, you know, technology, you've built programs and you're like, the program is done. It's working. There are no bugs. Okay. Awesome. But there's nothing else to do now. So you've got to do something else. And that's the same that's happening. The same thing that's happening in your brain is that there are no more bugs. And so you're getting a little bit of dopamine, but not very much. And the other thing that's happening is there's not a lot of new information to process, sort of nothing new here, been there, done that. And because there's nothing new to process, well, your identity is like you, this thing you were doing is now who you are. It's now the status quo, but because there's nothing new to process time is going to go really fast, but growth is slow. And that is why, because there's no dopamine. So dopamine drops launch point, lots of dopamine in sweet spot, very little in mastery. That is why you can be very good at something and feel like you can no longer keep doing it. It's because you're not getting the dopamine. So now to answer your question, I'm going to answer your question on what to do about it by giving you a specific example. Would that be useful of what a manager did? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Since you're both this, you're, you're focused on people. So, um, there's a company that we have worked with, uh, called chat books and they turn Instagram photos into books. They've been around for about seven years, worked really hard to build a culture as a consequence, as they've grown, people do not leave. So they want the culture to stay intact, but if people start getting bored, then they are going to either stop working or they're going to leave. In either case, it doesn't serve either serve them well. So they had us come in. We administered our S curve insight tool that tells you where you're presenting on the curve. Um, you, you can, you can eyeball it, but it also gives you that additional information. And we found out that three out of their four senior executives were in the mastery phase. So here's what happened because they now knew where they were. It gave them a lot of information. They had this common language to talk about the experience that they were having. And so the CEO said, all right, well, let's, let's now talk about this three very different outcomes for people that were in mastery. The first outcome was one of the people, she was the, the chief marketing officer said, oh, now I understand what's happening. It's not that I don't like working here. It's not that I don't like working at you with you. It's just that I'm at the top of my S curve and I'm not getting any more dopamine and I'm bored and I need to do something new. Now, because they were able to have this artifact, this thing to look at, to have this conversation, she was able to make that decision very amicably between her and the CEO. I'm going to go jump to a new curve and it's not going to be here. She spent a couple of months preparing the person who was going to come up behind her and had a very amicable departure to go to a new S curve, but it depersonalized it because sometimes when people leave, we as managers feel like, well, they don't like me anymore. No, it wasn't that she didn't like him. It's just that she needed something new to do. And there wasn't something there. 
Second conversation that took place, presidents presenting in mastery. Well, this led to a very different outcome. What happened is that a few years or you know, 18 months prior, the CEO had made this person the president, but he himself had not jumped to a new S curve. And so he was still doing a lot of the president's job. And so the president and the CEO were bumping up against each other. And so the president was presenting a mastery. And so they had a conversation to rescope roles and responsibilities. New CEO doesn't cling to the old S curve. He jumps to a new one. And the president now has headroom that puts him back in the sweet spot so he can continue on to mastery. And then the third outcome, CTO has just taken on a whole bunch of new responsibilities. He's feeling kind of uncomfortable. He wants to stay there. But he's feeling uncomfortable because he's at the launch point. He now had a language to talk through and say, hey, everybody doing this new thing. It's kind of awkward, but that's because I'm at the launch point. And then he could call it out and everybody feels good about it. And he's not shamed because he doesn't know how to do everything that he should know how to do because he's the CTO. And so those are things that you can do when you're in mastery is you get to the top of the mountain, you either jump to a new S curve, or you say, this is a summit, but not the summit and find ways to keep climbing by either bringing in launch point responsibilities or clearing out the curve so that you continue to have headroom. I know that was a long example, but I hope it was very illustrative of what you can do. It, it was it was amazing. And it, it got my mind going. And I started thinking, because we talk about, like, I'm a millennial, and millennials were given credit for, uh, in a good or a bad way, of people not staying at jobs as long. And I'm wondering, as I hear you talk, is, is it because we grew up in a world where information was so accessible that we were able to get through an S curve faster than maybe different generations. Hmm. You know what, Mike, that's a great, I think that's a great observation. I, I would not be surprised if that is a contributing factor is that you've, you have access to information so much more quickly. I think another element of it is, is that one of the things I'm grateful for to millennials, um, because I'm I'm a Gen Xer is this notion of, you know, I had experiences of when I worked on Wall Street of working 80 and 90, 90 hours a week. And it's just what we did. We just didn't know anything else. And that's what you had to do. And something I'm grateful for, and I think part of the reason you jump to new S curves more quickly is you're more willing to say, you know what? This isn't the right S curve for me. I'm going to go jump Good to a point. new one. Yeah. And I think that that is. And as a consequence of doing that, whenever you jump to an S curve, when you disrupt yourself, you force disruption in people around you, there's a contagion effect. And I think that that has been a real boon, not only to your generation, but to Xers and boomers as well, because you have then given permission to everybody else to say and do exactly what's happening right now in the world, which is I want a different kind of life. I want my work life. I want this portfolio of curves. I want work and I want family and I want friends and I want hobbies and I want to figure out a way to put all of them together. And I think millennials open the door to all of that. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, I, I think that's probably spot on. And uh, my mind just uh, kind of runs when I hear these things. And I think about are we getting too many S curves? I, and I recently, I don't remember if I read something or I heard something, but the concern is that we are so focused on learning and development in today's Mm -hmm. world now that 
are we getting burnt out because of the amount of learning that we're expected to do or that people think they want to do? So I'm curious if when you think about in terms of S curves, are there, is there a certain amount of curves that you should have going at one time? Yes. The answer is yes. Um, I I almost want to let Jess answer this question because I think she knows exactly what I'm going to say. Um, we just like you have a portfolio of stocks that you need to balance, um, and you need to have, you know, optimize your portfolio of stocks. I think you need to optimize your life and you're going to have a portfolio of S curves. I think that one of the things you are pointing to is that we have an embarrassment of riches. And so the challenge for most people, certainly in the developing world, is to figure out how many S-curves am I going to be on at any given time? Which ones are going to be more important? What am I going to pay attention to? And what am I going to focus on? And I think that's one of the most important things that we need to learn how to do. I know for me personally, and this is a challenge actually of being in the sweet spot. And if you think about it, within the developing world, in many ways, we are in the sweet spot. One of the biggest challenges is focusing because Mm -hmm. the more competent that you get, the more opportunities come your way. You know, Jess is like, wow, she's really good. Let's have her do this. And then this, and then this, and then this, and all of a sudden you've got 20 things. You can't do any of them well. And so for me, something that I've been working very hard on, um, and I'll probably spend the rest of my life figuring out how to do is how do I make sure I focus on the things and on the curves that matter to me? And I say no to the things that do not. Mm -hmm. That is a very important skill that all of us are learning how right now to, to we're, 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 I can't even say this. We're (laughs) learning it right now. That's something that we're, we're having to figure out. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Just really quick. I'll wrap that up because what it sounded like when you talked about that launch point is an area that's not very comfortable for most people. (laughs) So that's kind of why I asked the question. And and we talk about mental health a lot. Are a lot of people sitting, do they have, are they in the launch point of so many different things that that becomes a burden on them? Yes. Yes. You could, you can be too doing too many things at once. And so that's where, um, in the, I talk at the launch point of the curve about the explorer phase and the collector phase. Um, and I, and, and ultimately you do have to make a choice of here's what I'm going to pursue. And that's hard to do in an era of FOMO and FOBO. Um, that's difficult to do, but we ultimately have to make a choice and say, I'm going to, I'm going to ride this S curve and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't stop thinking about as listening to you guys talk about how ego can get maybe in the way here, you know, I've as, as an HR leader, you know, who coaches and advises people on their careers there, there's a population of people that think once I reach leadership, I've reached the top of the mountain. Like I've, Mm -hmm. I've reached this pillar of my career where my ego will feel like I've, you know, I've, I've left and led this legacy. Um, and 
you know, there are a lot of leaders that end up in leadership roles because they were really strong individual contributors, Mm -hmm. but they're not strong people leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are extraordinary people leaders that, um, you know, landed in leadership for a reason. And so I'm just, I'm just thinking about that curve and, you know, maybe you reach mastery, but because your ego got in the way and you pushed yourself into an opportunity that maybe doesn't align with your personal beliefs or values or really what lights you up and gets you out of bed every morning. Naturally that dopamine is going to stop. It is, it may have not even started shooting, you know, to begin with because it doesn't get you out of bed every morning. And then how that ego might get in the way of stepping back into an individual contributor role where that is your sweet spot. And that is actually the area that you, you know, you get excited about getting out of bed every morning. Yeah. So. It's so true. And I think one of the things that we We've, we've done this thing where we make it seem like if you have lots of people reporting to you, you are somehow more important. Um, and yet um, I have a couple of things that I want to share with you that I think are, are helpful in this regard, which is the importance of each one of us to the extent that we are managing people who are choosing to be individual contributors versus managers, that we value both And that we're willing to acknowledge the strengths that everyone has and what they contribute because we all need them. Um, A couple of things I want to share with you. Number one is um, Clay Christensen, who is one of my mentors, said that management, management is the noblest of professions if done well. And it's very important for us to recognize that when we are a manager, we wield a lot of power. And if we are not a good manager, if we are not a good boss, we can wreak a lot of havoc in people's lives. And so when we take on that role, there is a stewardship there that we need to take very seriously. So that's the first thing that I want to say. The second thing is that um, Tom Rath said, and I I quoted him in the book, he said, contribution is, is the sum of what grows when you are gone. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Contribution is the sum of what grows when you're gone. And so again, for someone who's thinking about moving from an individual contributor into a managerial role, you really want to think very hard about that mantle that you will assume and the responsibility you have, not only to the people who are working for you, but to their families, because you can bet, because we've all had bad bosses. If we have a bad boss, our families feel it too. But if we have a good boss, they feel it as well. Okay. Last thought. For anybody who is a leader or an individual contributor, but a leader in particular, there was a study done recently by Egon Zender. They surveyed a thousand CEOs and they asked those thousand CEOs um, about, well, they asked them lots of things, but one of the things that the 80% of those CEOs strongly agreed on is that to transform their organization, they also needed to transform themselves. So hundred percent agreed, 80% strongly agreed. Now, you both are nodding your heads and saying, well, yes, of course, Whitney, duh. The number pre-pandemic was 26%. So over the past two years, that number has tripled. What I love, see, one of the gifts of this, this past two years is that leaders now understand that if we're going to transform our organization, if we're going to grow our people, if we're going to actually lead our people, we need to be hyper, hyper focused on making sure we ourselves are changed 
And to your question, Jess, is every single day asking ourselves, am I pulling my ego out of the equation? And are there people around me? Do I have truth tellers around me Mm -hmm. who are going to let me know when my ego is on the table? Yeah. I felt, feel like Mike, we needed like a background sound effects for Whitney on that one. Like people clapping in the background and like horns going off. Those were all so, so, so good. And so true. And I think about too, I mean, not only just the pandemic Whitney, but all of the civil unrest, you know, that um, has been so, so prevalent and, and talked about so much. And I think about companies that I've worked for historically where DEI was not a strong focus and leadership wasn't talking about it and CEOs were not making a stance. And if we've got leaders sitting in roles that they themselves don't understand what all of this means, then they can't be stewards and allies and you know make the impact that their employees are expecting them to, to make. Yeah. You just reminded me. Um, so uh, we just had Johnny Taylor on the podcast and I know you've had him on your podcast as well. The, the president of Sherm. And I asked him the question, which is what qualifies a person to run DE and I, and we were brainstorming around it. And he said, you've got to be a person who has influence in your organization. Number one. And number two, you have to be expert, expert, expert at change management because that's what this is about. This is changing hearts and minds, and you can't change it unless you're an expert at influencing people and helping them want to change how they're seeing the world. Cause this mm-hmm. is not easy stuff to change. Mm-hmm. Switching topics a little bit. I just want to go back um, as I want to talk about, cause Jess, you mentioned when somebody moves, gets promoted, right. And ego gets in there, but same thought process around when somebody gets promoted and maybe because they go back into that launch launch mm-hmm. phase, they maybe don't, they feel like maybe they made a mistake. So I'm, I'm curious if like, can you, and maybe you talk about it in the book as well, but how do you tell somebody, or how do you convince somebody to kind of stick it out because you're going to be in this phase maybe for a little bit and get to that sweet spot? Cause I know, and even myself, I went into a leadership position one time and I didn't give it very long. I just, it just didn't feel the way that I felt when I was in my other role. And I ended up leaving pretty quickly. And I think back on that and think, was I, was I in the launch point and I bailed before I got to the sweet spot? What do you think now? What's your thought? Or do you I want to make the that? right decision? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So l- l- let me talk you through this and then you can see, you can reevaluate what you just said. So so disruption theory, which is much of what the, the theory of personal disruption is based on set, suggests, and this is from Clayton in The Innovator's Dilemma, is that when you um, pursue a disruptive course, which is basically play where no one else is playing, play where you haven't played before, your odds of success are six times higher. But that is 6% to 36%. So every time you go to a new curve and you do something new, there's still a 64% chance it's not the right curve for you. So it's quite possible that when we jump to new curves, it's not going to be the right place for us. And that's part of why you do the exploration phase and you do that collection phase. Can you, do you want to be here? Are you equipped to be here? Can you get the resources you need to be successful here? And it sounds like from what you said, like, this isn't the place for me. That being said, if you've done your diligence. And if your manager has done their diligence and you're both saying, you know, 
I can feel it. This is going to be a great role for you. What you need at the launch point is you need encouragement. Um, you need support. And so you need to be able to have your manager say to you, here's why I put you here. You can do this. You need training. You need um, the this you know the resources that you need to be successful in that role, and you also get support in the form of um, valuing your inexperience and being able to say to you, Mike, okay, you're brand new at this. Tell us what you're seeing because you're going to see some things that I'm not seeing. Now, in terms of managing the overall process, there's a, a great story in the book that we talk about in the Explorer chapter about Marco Tricocci, and he's the CIO at Four Seasons Hotel. And when he first started, he said to his boss, okay, so, you know, what do you want me to do? Cause at the launch point, we kind of want to get out of that as fast as we can. Cause it's super uncomfortable. And his boss says, I don't want you to do anything yet right now. I just want you to go meet people and I want you to watch and I want you to learn and I want you to see what's going on. Cause you need to have those relationships if you're going to actually get anything done in this organization. So just watch and learn, do it for six months. And then in six months, then you can start to roll out your plan. Last thing I'll say on that, Mike, part of being able to be at the launch point is your boss giving you cover to be at the launch point. And so here's a script that you can use for managers. Hey, we're going to move so-and-so to this new role. They're going to experiment with a thing or two, 70% chance it'll work, 30% chance it won't pick your percentages, but it's the right development opportunity for Mike. It's the right development opportunity for Jess. So, Hey, manager. Will you support me and my team through this risk? So what have they done? They've now created cover for you. They've created cover for themselves. And now they've given their manager script or a script to create cover for them as well. So you've now created this place, this bubble, wherein this person can be on the launch point for a few months. So those are some different things that you can put in place is give them permission to be uncomfortable, have a script. And then give them the support that they need so that they can move off or discover that it's not the right curve. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, as somebody who is also an advocate for encouraging women in leadership roles, Mm. you know, I have a recent story of an individual who was well suited and well prepared to move into a leadership role. Her supervisor had been talking with her about it, Mm. um, but she was expecting and she didn't know what things were going to be like as a, as a mother. And she knew being a present mother was something that she wanted to prioritize. And so when the opportunity to move into this leadership role surfaced, she declined and said, I'm, I'm not going to apply. I'm, I'm doing great where I am right now. I'm a high performer and I'm concerned that if I take on more, it'll impact other areas of my life. Manager was you know, pretty consistent with her, but also respectful of the decision that he, you know, she was making and ended up kind of letting it go. And then the position got posted and she had a conversation with her husband and her husband was a huge advocate for her and was like, we've got this, like, we're a team. We've got this. Like, if this is something that you want to put your name in the hat for, we will, we will make sure personally and professionally things run the way that we want them to run. And she applied and she got the job and Uh. she's doing exceptional. So it just, it just really hit me because I think we need more of that, you know, male or female, but I do feel like females specifically, like there's a 
a repetitive story that we hear about females not taking on roles of broader scope and responsibility because of examples like they're concerned that they can't handle it or they're concerned that their family life will be impacted. And if we have, you know, spouses doing what her spouse did, leaders, you know, doing what the example that you just gave Whitney doing, I think we would see more women feeling comfortable moving right. into leadership positions. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think building on that too, Jess, is that if you look at gender differences at a very high level, is that if you think about um, from a mastery perspective, um, women are going to be less likely to jump to the launch point of a new curve and also be less permitted to jump to the launch point of a new curve because we do tend to judge women on track record, record versus potential. So it is harder sometimes for women to jump to that launch point. The implications of that is that you're more likely to have the woman move off the launch point faster because she's probably not quite as much on the launch point as you think she is. And then the reverse of that is that we make it easier for men to make that jump, but it might then make the men make it harder or a man might be a little bit slower to move off the launch point because he's further off, you know, more at the beginning because he jumped based on potential versus track record. So there's some interesting gender pieces that can play into this. And when you know them, you can, you can, you can develop them differently on the, on that basis. So I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell everybody where they can get the book. Um, okay. I also want to thank you for putting it on Audible like right away uh, because I love to listen to books and a lot of times books are released and then it's a long time before you can actually listen to them. Um, but before that, I want to ask you what your favorite chapter is in the book and why. Mm. Yes. So I think that one of my favorite chapters is the anchor chapter and I love that chapter in part because there's a story of a family that went sailing. So there's something, you know, I like that, that experience, but it's also one of my favorite chapters because when we get to the top of an S curve, yes, we know we need to keep climbing, but there's a really important part that we often overlook, which is to be willing to celebrate that we made it to the top of the mountain. We did it. We did it. That thing that we set out to do, we accomplished it. Mm -hmm. And, and to take that moment, not only to acknowledge and honor ourselves and what we accomplished, but also when we focus on what's working and we talked about focus earlier, you're going to get more of it. And so if you can stop and pause and reflect and survey what you've done, that becomes a very important anchoring moment for you in the future that you can then build on. And so I love that chapter, not only for how we wrote it, but also, um, for what it reminds us to do, which is to celebrate what we've, what we've accomplished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't just move on right away. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. So tell our listeners how they can connect with you to learn more about this, yeah. maybe where they can find your book. Yeah. Well, you can find my book anywhere like most books. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you can obviously go on Amazon and you can go to your local bookstore. Um, those are two very easy places to buy it. If you want to buy in bulk, you can go to Porchlight, which definitely buy in bulk, definitely advise it. Um, <laughs> and then I'm, I have a podcast called the disrupt yourself podcast. As I mentioned earlier, you can listen to Johnny C Taylor, although you can listen to him here. So probably not that. Um, and then if you want to connect with me, I have a newsletter that I put out every week. It's 
it's basically very personal and all the mistakes that I make in trying to climb my S curve. Um, or you can email me at WJ at WhitneyJohnson.com. That's great. Well, Whitney, thank you so much. I fantastic conversation. And I, I really appreciate you joining. Oh, thank you, Jess. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening to this episode of what the HR, if you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.